Okay, again, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Psalms, and we'll be in Psalm number 13. You take a look at it. It's only six verses. It's one of the shortest chapters in the entire Bible. They don't get real encouraged about that because I have been known to take a long time on six verses. Uh, I was asking David the other day, when, how long have we been in Genesis? And, and uh, he went back and looked, and we started in Genesis back, Genesis back in October of 18. And I think we were in the first chapter for several months. So, so I, I don't think we'll be in chapter 13 for several months, but uh, uh, we'll be in there a little bit. Not, and, and really, what a psalm it is, especially for the times in which we live. I mean, it's a power-packed little psalm and with all sorts of applications. So, so we don't want to just brush over it too quickly here. But anyway, I think we'll get out of here at a reasonable time. But, but if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter number 13. And you can see in the introduction, it was written to the chief musician. It's a psalm of David written to the chief musician. Uh, that tells us that it was, that it was sung in the tabernacle. Uh, and if the tabernacle was up in Jerusalem, which is probably where this psalm was written, that means that David was king at this point. And so more than likely he was, he was, he was king of Jerusalem, I mean king of Israel when he, living in Jerusalem when he wrote this psalm. But it's a psalm uh, written in a time of deep trouble, a time when uh, David is experiencing some experiencing some real emotional issues because of the circumstances in which uh, he was living. He was living in a really, really bad time. Uh, some people say it was written, and most of these psalms that were written when David was in, in, a, in a bad time uh, are attributed to the, to the incident with Absalom when his son rebelled against him, and that's certainly a possibility here. Uh, I don't know that, that that's necessarily true because I'm sure David had lots of problems over the years and, and uh, lots of times when he felt like he felt when he wrote Psalm 13. So, so we can't be sure of the occasion, but we can be sure of, of what, what's going on in his heart because he, that's what he does. In this Psalm, he exposes what's going on in his heart. He's facing a very difficult situation. It seems that that God's nowhere to be found, and he's, he's feeling like, like God's forgotten him. And that's why I say it's a power-packed little psalm, because I, I look around the world today, and, and it's almost as if you could say, some people could look at all of this and say it's like God's abandoned this nation and abandoned some of us individually. That It just seems like we can't find God in all of this. And uh, that's where David was when, when he wrote this psalm. And listen to what he says, uh, beginning in verse number one, as we see this movement from feelings to faith. It's going to start out with feelings. He's got some terrible feelings about what's going on in his life. And, and you can see just how bad it is by reading this first verse. He says, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So, so here's David now. He's, he's in deep trouble, and he writes this psalm, and he asks the Lord for help. And I don't think he just asked the Lord for help one time. He asked the Lord for help on several occasions. He begged the Lord to help him. And yet, 
the Lord didn't help him. And, and he felt forsaken by God. He felt that God had abandoned him and forgotten him. And it's almost as if God was hiding from him. That's the way he felt. You know, that's one of the reasons I love to read the Psalms, because the Psalms aren't written by men and women who are men who, who uh, are, are these giant, pious, uh, uh, super spiritual people who never had any problems. They're, the Psalms are written by people having problems just like you and I have problems. And they have feelings just like you and I have feelings when we're in a difficult situation. And so, so they're definitely applicable to us. And it's almost as if, I mean, I, there's been several occasions in my life where I could have said the same thing to the Lord. How long, O oh Lord? Are you going to forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long, should, uh, we'll get to verse 2 in a minute, but how long shall I take counsel in my soul? And, and listen to what he says. He says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? How long is this trial going to last, Lord? I mean, is it ever going to end? I mean, am I going to die in this, this state that I'm in? I mean, have you ever felt like that? I mean, where, you, where your friends can't help you, it seems God won't help you. And you're kind of left to yourself to, to fend for yourself. That's what David's saying. How long shall I take counsel in my own soul? How long shall I come up with my own schemes and plans to get out of this mess? In my own power, try to get out of this mess. Lord, how long? I mean, I don't have anybody that's willing to help me. And, and, uh, and, and I'm trying to do it myself, but it's not working, Lord. It's not working. Listen to what he says. He says, having sorrow in my soul daily. Every day, Lord, I'm failing at this. I'm failing at trying to fix these problems I have in my life on my own. I'm failing at it. I don't even need friends to help me fix it. You're not helping me fix it. And so I'm failing every day. And my enemies are getting the best of me. They're getting the best of me. And Satan, he's looking over me in this state that I'm in. And he's laughing at me. He loves that I'm in this position. And Lord, you've allowed me to be in this position. Why, Lord? Why have you allowed me to be in this position? How long am I going to be in this position? So he begs the Lord again. He prays in verse number three. He says, consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Now watch what he asked the Lord to do. He says, enlighten my eyes. Light up my eyes. Open my eyes to your light. Lest I sleep, now watch what he says, the sleep of death. Sleep in the Bible is another term for death. But there's sleep that leads to life and there's sleep that leads to death. And at this point, David sees his sleep as leading to death. Darkness and death, that's, that's the state he's feeling he's in because of the situation he's in, and God's not giving him any help. He said, and my enemies, lest, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am in this move to this position of the sleep of the sleep of death. How long, Lord, should I take counsel with my own soul? Should I try to fix this myself? 
having sorrow in my heart daily. How long, Lord, is this going to go on? Please, Lord, I know you've got a lot on your plate. I know you've got people all over this world that you're looking out after. But, Lord, just for a minute, would you turn your countenance toward me and consider my situation and hear me? And, Lord, if you turn your countenance towards me, that means you turn your glory towards me. And, Lord, please do that and enlighten my eyes. Bring light to this very dark, dark situation that I'm in. Bring the light. Let me tell you, this is what we all want to pray for when we're in a situation like David was in. Bring the light of your presence into my life. I'll tell you what, if you have the light of God's presence, if you experience the glory of God's presence, you can face any situation uh, with boldness and courage. And so David knows that. Remember when he was in Ziglag, he came back to Ziglag and all his uh, family had been taken captive and all his homes and stuff had been destroyed and and uh, they, his men were threatening to stone him. Remember what he did. He strengthened himself in the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. Back then, I'm sure he prayed the same thing. Lord, please consider and hear me. Look at what the, what the Amalekites have done to us. And, and Lord, enlighten my eyes so I can see you, so I can know that you're, presence, that you're present in this situation. Let me know, Lord, that you haven't forgotten me. Let me know, Lord, that you hear my prayers. Let me know, Lord, that you're my present help in, in times of trouble. How does God enlighten our eyes? How do we sense the very presence of God? I'll tell you the number one way you get your eyes enlightened to the presence of God is through the Word of God, through immersing yourself in the very Word of God, immersing yourself in this Bible. I don't know how many times I felt just like David felt right here in the first few verses of this psalm. And, and I've gone to the Word of God, and I've looked for a word of encouragement, and wow, wham, there it is. The ex exact word I needed to hear, God shows me. He lights it up. It's almost as if a heavenly flashlight shines down on a particular verse, and I see that verse, and I know it's the Lord speaking to me, and I'm so encouraged, and I feel like I can face anything when I know God's in there with me, and he enlightens his word like that. This past Sunday, we were, we were talking about how God, even in the midst of that famine, had blessed the Israelites so that while they were in Goshen, so that they didn't even know there was a famine. I mean, they knew it, but it wasn't affecting them at all to the point that they could say, what famine? And I came back from that, and I was going back over what I had said in my mind, and I was thinking about it, and, and, and I uh, asked the Lord, I said, Lord, did I say the right thing? I mean, is that, is, is, am I right when I say that, Lord, we're like the Israelites in Goshen, that that, that uh, we can be uh, just like them, 
to the point that when all of these terrible things are going on in our country, we can say, what famine? I mean, was I right in that? And, and I was listening to a Bible study a guy did a little bit later on that night. And he began to talk about, I don't know if any of you have heard about Dana Cornerstone, I think's his name, uh, has had these visions and dreams, and they're gone viral on the internet. Have y'all heard about that? Some, of, some people have, I know some people have because they've asked me about those visions and dreams, what I think about those things. In those dreams that he has, basically, he says that by the end of this year, America is, is done. It's imploded. UN troops will be on the streets. I mean, all sorts of terrible things that he, he says that are going to happen, that God showed him were going to happen in these dreams. And if you've listened to his dreams, the way he lays out these dreams, I mean, he really does sound sincere. It doesn't sound like something he's made up. It sounds like something he might have saw in a dream. And it would really scare me if his application didn't bother me. His application was this, that everybody needs to buy AR-15s and buy as much food as you can and head to the mountains and get ready to escape this, what's going to happen in the United States of America. Well, anyway, I was listening to this pastor talking about his dreams, and somehow he got into that in, in his message, and uh, he's, like I did tonight, somehow I got into it too, but, but he said, this is what he said, he said, you know, I, this guy does sound sincere, and this very well might happen, but I don't agree with his application. He said, I don't agree that, that we as a church need to buy weapons and go buy food and hide out in the mountains. He said, we're like the Israelites were in Goshen. We're just like they were. God is going to take care of us just, just like he took care of them, no matter what happens to the United States. And if there's a great famine in the land, then we very well might say, what famine? You would think I would have stole part of my sermon from what he said, but I took that as God speaking to me and giving me confirmation for, on a couple of things. One, that we are going to be protected, and that the other thing is that I said the right thing. on Sunday. And that enlightens me. That encourages me. When I get a word like that, I know God is speaking to me. When I, it's, I don't see those kind of things as coincidence because those things happen all the time when I'm in the word. Now, if I'd been watching Gunsmoke like I do sometimes on Sunday afternoon, I wouldn't have gotten that word. I got that word, and I was enlightened by that word because I was in the word. And God enlightens us through his, through his word. He enlightens us sometimes through our circumstances. I mean, David's circumstances might very well change for, for the positive, and he would have sensed the very presence of God. When I'm talking about being enlightened, I'm talking about sensing the presence of God in something that takes place. You might get a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge from a friend that you know is supernatural, and you know it when you hear it. And, and uh, that might be a way that God enlightens you. But, but when I'm in this kind of position where I'm really feeling that, that, that God's nowhere to be found, I want to hear from God. I want to be enlightened by God. One of the ways that you can be enlightened by God is sense the very presence of God. That hasn't happened many times in my life, and I believe there are lots of Christians. It, 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 has, it hasn't happened to uh, ever because they had, they had so much faith. I mean, they sense the presence of God in a, 
in a, in a, in a normal physical way, but they haven't had that supernatural sense of the presence of God. They've never experienced that. And I don't think you have to experience that. But I got to tell you, if you're weak like me, and you're really needing, the, you feel like God's forsaken you and God's forgotten you and all of that, to experience that supernatural presence of God, to me, is a great enlightenment, a great encouragement. And so, so I look forward to those times when God enlightens me. Now, if we're not enlightened, where are we living? We're living, we're going to find ourselves living in darkness. And one of the most fearful prospects for a Christian, for a believer, is to die while you're living in a state of darkness. I mean, if I was to ask for a show of hands right now, how many of you have ever, as, since you've been saved, have ever had periods where you felt like you were in a state of darkness? I, I can get, tell you several times. You don't have to raise your hands, but several times. I don't want to die in that state. Man, I want to die when I'm enlightened. And, and I don't want to sleep the sleep of death. And that's what David's saying. Here I am in this position, Lord, and I'm about to die. It looks like I'm going to die. And it very well might have been because Absalom was chasing him. And if Absalom had caught him, he was going to kill him. And he didn't want to die in this state that he was in. He wasn't afraid of dying. Don't get me wrong. David wasn't afraid of dying. He just didn't want to die when he would sleep the sleep of death, the stench of death was all around him. He didn't want to die like that. I've seen people who are Christians. I've been around a lot of people in my years of ministry as they died. And I've seen people, most of the people I've seen, they weren't in a state where they were about to sleep the sleep of death. They were about to sleep the sleep of life, and they were enlightened, and, 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 and you could almost see the joy on their face as they passed. But I have been around some. A couple I could name where, where they died a very fearful death. Does that mean they're not saved? No. I mean, it makes me wonder, but I, I've been in a position where if I died in a certain, when I was in a fearful state, I would have died uh, that kind of death. So I can't say that couldn't happen. Uh, so, so uh, uh, you know, David didn't want to die that way. Samson didn't want to die that way. You remember the story of Samson? You remember what happened to him, how, how Delilah came to him and tried to find the secret of his strength, and finally uh, he told her that it was in his hair, and so she cut his hair, and, and the Philistines came upon him, and, and they, they tied him up, and he couldn't break the ropes anymore because he, the Lord had departed from him. And they took him, and they did something very terrible. They put out his eyes. Now, he, he was living in a pretty dark state to start with. But then his eyes were put out, and, and he was in total darkness. And, 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 and I don't think he was enlightened by the Lord at that point either. And so he was about to sleep the sleep of death. And, it, and that was his greatest fear at that point. He didn't fear the Philistines. But you remember, they brought him out to make sport of him, and they... They uh, were cheering and singing songs to their gods because they had captured Samson. And uh, they sang, our God has delivered uh, uh, in our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. And, and Samson didn't want to die like that. 
They're singing over him. His enemies are rejoicing over him. He's a total failure at this point. He's about to sleep the sleep of death. He knows they're going to kill him at any moment. And he didn't want to die that way. He wanted to die sleeping the sleep of life. And so he asked the young lad that was leading him around, he said, put my hands on the pillars. And then he called out to the Lord, and, and, and he, he said basically the same thing David says here, Lord, how long will you not remember me? Lord, remember me and strengthen me again just this one time so that I can take vengeance on my enemies. And that's exactly what the Lord did. The Lord strengthened Samson. He gave him strength, and he brought those pillars down, and all the Philistines died. The whole palace came down on top of Samson, and all of those Philistine lords died. Over 3,000 Philistines died. And we're told in the Bible that Samson killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his whole life. And so he died in a great victory. God didn't leave him there to die in fear and, and loneliness. He, Lord, the Lord came to him and, and uh, gave him the strength to die a noble life. So David doesn't want to die a defeated man. And he doesn't want to die the sleep of the sleep of death. He wants the Lord to remember him. He wants the Lord to, to if he's going to die, to be with him, to give him victory before he dies. Uh, and he wants, more than anything else at this point, to be cognizant of the presence of God because he feels he's about to die. So just put yourself in his, his shoes at this point. I mean, it seems like God has hidden himself from David. Uh, David's feeling his absence. He cries out to the Lord, and basically what he cries out is, Lord, I believe in you, but help my unbelief. I mean, the great David here was having a lapse of faith. He, 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 he was at the point he really didn't believe that, 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 I mean, here's this guy who had killed Goliath by the power of God. He'd been anointed king of Israel when he was a young man. He had escaped all the wrath of Saul, and now Absalom looks like Absalom's about to kill him, and, and uh, uh, he, his faith is faltering. And he doesn't want to die defeated. He wants to die in victory. And uh, we don't know exactly what incident this was, and we don't know exactly what happened to David at this point? If it was the story of Absalom, we know he, his armies had a great victory and, and he was restored to his kingdom, but, but we, we can't be sure of that. The one thing we can be sure of is that God did answer his prayer. Tells me he will answer my prayer when I'm in a situation like this. He answered David's prayer, and David moved from a state of from a, from a place of doubt to a place of faith. Just, just look at this drastic change in his heart beginning in verse number 5. I mean, the psalm just totally turns around at this point. Listen to what David says. He says, but I, David makes a decision. He draws a line. He makes a bridge between his feelings and his faith. That's what he's going to do here. Listen to what he says. He says, but I have trusted 
in your mercy. I'm going to draw a line. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like you're anywhere to be found. I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like you've abandoned me. But I am going to trust in your mercy. And he drew a line right there and says, I'm going to believe. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. What's the bridge between, between our feelings of doubt, our feelings of abandonment, to a place of great faith? It's not something we can muster up in ourselves. It's the mercy and salvation of God. That's the bridge. And David crossed that bridge. And by crossing that bridge, he moved from a place where, where he was having all of these terrible feelings to a place where he had great faith again. And listen to what it says in verse number six, the last verse we get right here. It says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Uh, David went from a place of mourning and crying out and, and, and feeling horrible to a place of singing to the Lord. I, we really don't know what happened at this point. We don't even know if he got the victory. I mean, all we know is that he crossed the bridge. He crossed the bridge from doubt to faith, from weakness to confidence and joy. He crossed that bridge. And that bridge is the mercy of God. I mean, when David was in this state of doubt, and he thought God was not listening, that God had forgotten him, that God had abandoned him, and that he was about to die the sleep of death, uh, his enemies were about to conquer him, the devil was uh, taunting him and, and, and singing over him in, in his fallen state. He made a decision at that point. He could have given in to it, but he didn't. He made a decision not to give in to his feelings, but to trust in the mercy of the Lord. That same mercy that David had experienced all his life, David knew he was going to experience it, experience it in the situation that he was in now as he wrote this psalm. Well, there's a great lesson right there, a great secret to victory, a great secret to crossing that bridge between our feelings of doubt and abandonment to a place of joy and peace and contentment. And that bridge that we cross is the mercy of God. It brings us to a place of faith. You've got to believe in the mercy of God for his people. You've got to believe in that. How many of you in this room, you don't have to raise your hand, but you just think about it a minute, have ever experienced the mercy of God when you were in a tight spot? Maybe once, maybe twice, maybe a thousand times. Have you ever not experienced the mercy of God when you were in a tight spot? At some point, did that mercy not come? It's always come, hasn't it? David knew it had always come. And, and we all experience that mercy of God. And so when something else comes along and we think God's abandoned us and he's forgotten us, we have to go back and remember those mercies. And we have to remember the salvation that God's given us in the past. So instead of lying in despair, we're singing and rejoicing 
and God's salvation. Again, we aren't told how David was delivered from his terrible circumstances that he was in. You know, I believe quite possibly when he wrote this psalm, he hasn't even been delivered yet. But he just came to the point where he said, you know what? God's delivered me in the past. He's going to deliver me now. And he drew a line in the sand and said, you know what? I can sit here in self-pity and doubt, or I can move into faith where I have joy and peace and contentment, and I'm going to make that decision. That is a choice we make when we're in very difficult situations, situations like we're in now. We can let these circumstances overcome us, overcome us to the point that we doubt God, we doubt his presence, we doubt our salvation, we doubt everything that God's ever done, and we can throw it all out the window. Or we can make, draw a line in the sand, and we can say, I'm not going to doubt God. God has always come through for me. God is always merciful to me. Let me tell you what your bridge and my bridge is if we're in Christ. It's the cross. It's the cross. It's the cross that moves me from doubt to faith. That's the bridge I cross. I cross that all the time. Because if Christ died for me while I was yet a sinner, how much more will he give me all things that I need to live this life? We either believe that or we don't. And, 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 and our feel, we can't trust our feelings. And we can wallow in our feelings or we can cross that bridge into a place of faith and victory. And I'll tell you what, a lot of times that's what God is waiting on. That's why he's testing us, probably why he was tested David, to grow our faith so that we can have victory in these terrible circumstances in which we live or whatever terrible circumstances come our way. A lot of times he'll let us doubt his presence. He won't appear to us like we want him to appear to us. He won't enlighten us like we want him to enlighten us. But he's testing us and, and bringing us to the point where we draw the line in the sand and we say, I, I can trust this bridge. I can trust the cross of Christ. And I can go across there to a place of faith, to the promised land, which is a place of faith, a place of victory. In the Lord. Tell you what, you hang on to those simple truths. Because in these times, we're all going to be tested. But we can get through this and live in the land of Goshen. Live in the best of the land that's here until God takes us on to be with him in glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this good word, Lord. You're so good to us. Lord, help us to learn to, in the most difficult of times, to draw that line in the sand and say, Lord, we're going to believe in you and trust you and not our feelings. Lord, that we know that if you died for us and we know you did, you shed your blood for us. Your body was broken for us. We know that if you did all of that for us, Lord, you're not going to let us perish now. We're not going to sleep the sleep of death, Lord. We're going to sleep the sleep of life. 
We're going to have life and victory in this life and the life to come. And all of that, Lord, because we have faith in what you've done for us on that bloody cross. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.